And this is Nebuchadnezzar, one of the things he did, he was really proud of. Next thing, this is actually, um, on the, when you walked into ancient Babylon, you would go down the way in the main road called the way, the processional way. And it was, the walls had lions and all kinds of really bright, incredible artwork. And this is actually a rendition of one of them. So it was a magnificent city. It was the first big city of ancient history. It had incredible buildings. It was beyond compare in the ancient world. And Nebuchadnezzar built it. So keeping that in mind as we look into the passage today. So here, remember, here's what we're today. We're in Daniel chapter 4. And again, Daniel's in the Old Testament. Remember before Nebuchadnezzar had a dream earlier in the book that he asked Daniel to interpret. Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. Daniel interprets the dream. And then I put on here, bad news for Nebuchadnezzar. So let me read this dream. Let me read part of this passage. And then we're going to, again, look at the question of, okay, how does God deal with, how does he help us see some of those issues in the life we need to grow in? And we're going to learn this from Nebuchadnezzar, all right? <clears throat> Daniel chapter 4. Um, here's Nebuchadnezzar's dream. I'll start with verse 10. Nebuchadnezzar's describing his dream. Well, I was lying in my bed. This is what I dreamed. I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. The tree grew very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. So he's, he's told this to Daniel because none of his other wise men could interpret it for him. So he's telling him, this is what I was dreaming. Tell me what it means. It had fresh green leaves, so big tree, fresh green leaves loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and birds nested in its branches. All the world was spread from this tree. Then as I lay there dreaming, I saw, now I, I don't know about you, my, my dreams are never quite this detailed, but he apparently had incredible memory. As I lay there dreaming, I saw a messenger, a holy one coming down from heaven. The messenger shouted, cut down the tree and lop off its branches. Shake off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Chase the wild animals from its shade and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump and the roots in the ground bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Now let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the field. Of course, he had no idea what this all meant. He's just reciting it again. For seven periods of time, let him have the mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of a human. This is, again, the messenger saying this in his dream. For this has been decreed by the messengers. It's commanded by the Holy One so that everyone may know that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. And then Nebuchadnezzar's talking to Daniel, who also went by the Babylonian name of Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar, that was the dream that I, that I had. Now tell me what it means, for none of the wise men of my kingdom can do so. And I always love when he says this about Daniel. But you can tell me because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Daniel was known by the king as, you've got something in you that others don't have. So tell me what this means. Upon hearing this, Daniel was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. Then the king said to him, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. And Daniel says, I wish the events foreshadowed in the dream would happen to your enemies and not to you. And then he, this is what the dream means, Daniel says, verse 24 of chapter 4. This is what the dream means. Your majesty and what, what the Most High has declared will happen to you. You will be driven from human society and you will live in the fields with the wild animals. So again, this tree was the king being cut down was saying that God was going to send Nebuchadnezzar out into the wild. 
You will be driven from human society, and you will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow, and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Go to that next picture, Paul. Painting from 1795 of, of uh, William Blake, a uh, British poet, British artist. His perception of what this is describing. Nebuchadnezzar actually becomes like a wild animal, and he, he finds himself out in the, in the wild living like an animal. But the stump and roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that, he- that heaven rules. So the dream basically means, King Nebuchadnezzar, this, you, you saw this big tree. It was about you. It was about the, your power, your authority, your splendor. Look at this city. Look at the people you rule over. Look how you've basically dominated the world. But when the tree get cuts down, gets cut, cut down in Nebuchadnezzar, that's you too. And God is decreeing that you're going to get, you're going to basically go insane. You're going to live out in the wild like an animal. Your fingernails are going to grow like claws and your hair is going to grow like an animal. So you can understand why Daniel was frightened to tell Nebuchadnezzar this. Um, I was asking, I was telling this story to my nine-year-old son. He asked me to tell him a Bible story and I always tell him whatever story I'm preaching on. Makes sense to me. And... And, I was trying, and he said, Dad, I know this story. I said, how do you know this story? We read it, and he goes to a Christian grade school. We read it in school this week because we were reading crazy stories from the Bible. All right, this is one of the crazy stories. But Nebuchadnezzar is kind of, because of his pride, he becomes like an animal. Because Daniel then says to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what's right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. In other words, Daniel knew that Nebuchadnezzar had all kinds of pompous, arrogant, prideful issues. And he was all about him and not taking care of others. And he says, King, would you stop, stop sinning and do what God asks you to do? So go back to the next slide. Or go to four to the next slide, Paul. Because then what happens? It says there was one day that Nebuchadnezzar was looking out on this great city of his. He's looking out on his hanging gardens and this incredible buildings and walls and colors. And he says to himself, look at all that I've done. And then it says immediately a voice came from heaven. And then what happened next was exactly what Daniel said that the dream would happen. Nebuchadnezzar goes insane. He goes lives out in the woods, in the jungle or wherever, in the wilderness. Um, it was either seven months, seven years, which is kind of unclear about wh- how long it was, but he's living like an animal because it was God's judgment on him. And again, I'm keeping in mind my wife saying, focus on the positive, but what do you do with that? Is that how God deals with people? So then it says, he, then, then Nebuchadnezzar says, I finally came to my senses. And then I praised and worshiped the Most High God and honored the one who lives forever. And he says in verse 36, When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. And then go to the next slide, because this is the last part of the passage. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the King of Heaven. All his acts are just and true. And this next statement is like an understatement of the world, right? And he's able to humble the proud. It's like, wow. So Nebuchadnezzar has this pride issue. And, and God 
in a really disruptive way, gives him this dream, and then in a really disruptive way of insanity, exposes this to Nebuchadnezzar, and that's the only way Nebuchadnezzar deals with that issue in his life. Seems severe, seems large, seems like over the top maybe. God, 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 what's up with this? And God, why? Maybe what we learn from this is the degree to which God doesn't like a proud heart. And again, his proud heart was, look at all that I've done. He had no sense that anything, his behaviors weren't wrong. Daniel says, hey, you got to be kind to the poor. So what do we do with this? Here's, Here's the point for this morning. Next slide. Jesus will disruptively humble your pride. And you're like, wait a minute, okay, the last time I had a dream where God talked to me was probably not, that's not something we typically experience. It's like, wait, I'm not, I don't stand over this big city and boast about what God's doing in my life. But think over and over again of the stories of the Bible and stories even of the New Testament when Jesus was really disruptive about people's pride. So this story shows some dramatic, large examples. Remember the disciples? Just a few stories. Remember the disciples? Their pride was leading them to say to Jesus, Jesus, you know, when you get in your kingdom, can I be on your right hand and my brother be on your left hand? Because it was pride that was leading them to say, we, wanna, we have a certain way we want to do this. And, and then Jesus, patient with them, Tells them, you know, if you want to be a leader, you've got to be a servant first. They didn't get it. So another time on the road, they're saying, Jesus, Jesus, can we be like your top people? Because they thought what it was all about was getting this position of prominence. And Jesus says, no, you don't get it. If you want to be a servant, if you want to be a leader, you have to be a servant. And then what Jesus does, because he always likes to do disruptive things to get the point across. See the picture on the side wall over there, the, the whole story of him washing Peter's feet. Washing their feet, washing the disciples' feet. A very disruptive way to get his message across to the disciples. And that was, you've got to deal with the pride in your life. You've got to deal with it. Because Jesus loves to be disruptive in those kind of ways. He was disruptive with the Pharisees. He was disruptive with anybody who thought they were better than what they were. Now, just for the sake of definition, let me make sure we understand what we're talking about here. Because pride is that sense of, I don't see myself as being wrong. Let's get it back, get it down to life, in my relationships. A prideful person, think of prideful people you've interacted with. Hopefully it's not the person sitting next to you, but you know. A prideful person is someone who thinks they are doing it right. Now a humble person, which sometimes we misunderstand that word, humble does not mean a lowly person who has a low self-esteem. A humble person means someone who chooses to let use their position and authority to serve other people. So what does it look like in your life or my life for Jesus to bump up that part of our hearts? Um, I'll tell one story and then... Do a few more things. There was one time where I was in a setting where uh, there was a guy where it was a, it was a gathering of pastors, and there was a guy in my group that had he was dressed like the best TV preacher you've ever seen. He had gold jewelry and looked really sharp. 
And so I'd already sized him up as a pretty proud person. Um, because pastors do that to one another. So, so and, and then he's talking, he's introducing himself, and he says, my name is Pastor Bob Smith, and I pastor, you know, the Word of Power Spirit Church. And he said it in this real kind of pompous way. And I thought, I can't believe this guy. So we're talking, and then he has a chance to talk about his life growing up. And he starts talking about growing up in poverty and a home of abuse. And talks about as many years he spent in prison where God finally got his attention. And I realized in the conversation, he wasn't the pompous one, I was. And God had to use a really disruptive car. I, I, rem- I can still remember, I can remember where I was sitting in this circle of people when it hit me and I thought, ooh, God, that was pretty good. You know, it was kind of like, God knows how to get around the way you think. And it just kind of hit me square between the eyes and I thought, God, why do I do that? Why do I think I'm better than him? Because a proud person is when you think you're better than somebody else. And there's not one of us here that could say we're 100% humble. My guess is we all want to be. But how does God get that message across? Yeah, he could use a dream. Yeah, he could bring a prophet into your life. He could send you out in the woods so you're running around naked like an animal. But for most of us, that's not how God's going to work. And for most of us, those kind of issues show up in relationships. For most of us, those kind of issues of pride show up in relationships that we're close to with people. And how does God expose those things? How do you do? How do you find out? How do you know? How do you find out the areas of your life where you have pride that still God hasn't rooted out? How do you know what obstacles are holding you back? And again, pay attention to the ways in which Jesus disrupts people in the Bible and pay attention to how he may want to disrupt you in your life. And I'm going to ask you, at the end of the service today, I'm going to ask all of us to invite God to disrupt us if he needs to show us things about our hearts that we haven't seen or we've been blinded to. Now, one of the ways in which I have found that God is very disruptive in showing me my pride is in my marriage. We're not talking about my marriage, we're talking about somebody else's marriage today, so Dave and Courtney White are going to come up here. And talk to us about the question, how has God been disruptive in your marriage to show you your own pride and to humble you, all right? Who else would have volunteered to do this, right? I actually asked them to and they were talking. But here's the point. You know if you're married and you're honest, you know your marriage, none of, you, none of us have perfect marriages. None of us have we would even say like really, really good marriages. We're all growing. And there's been a number of people I've interacted with and here and other places. And sometimes it's hard for us to be honest about our marriages and honest about where the role that pride plays in those marriages and how we learn from that. So I talked to Dave and Courtney once. I've talked to them a number of different times. And they were honest about tensions in their marriage, um, which is a really good thing to be honest about that. So here's the question I posed to them, and I'm going to ask them to talk about it. Tell us how Jesus has used your marriage in a disruptive way to humble you. And we're going to let Dave go first. 
So why don't you tell us, what's, what have you learned in your marriage, and how has God humbled you? I, 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 I take it you're holding on the micro- microphone because you want to say something well, first. Well, I was just going to lighten the mood a little bit with something that we experienced at a marriage conference. So if you're sitting next to a family member or a spouse or a roommate, could you just turn to them real quick and say, we fight too. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So, in in a moment of uh, moment of confession, and for my wife's sake, um, whenever we have conversations uh, privately, um, you know, my mind's going a thousand miles an hour, and then all of a sudden we have something publicly, which is very rarely in a setting like this. But normally, when we're processing life with other uh, couples that we trust. Um, I'll say things that she's never heard before. So I apologize beforehand um, because I may say something that she's like, I never heard him say that before. Uh, so the question I believe was, how has... Uh, how, how, how has Jesus used your marriage kind of in the disruptions in your marriage right. to, to humble you, not for the sake of humiliating you, but to make you stronger? Yeah, totally. So one of the things that uh, I think is kind of in the base of our marriage um, is our family backgrounds. Uh, I grew up uh, with a family of lawyers. And so it wasn't necessarily about who was right or who was wrong, but it was about what you could prove. Um, and also, who could make the other one angry first? Because if you made the other one angry, then they lost and you won. didn't matter if you were right or wrong, um, but they lost and you won. And so anger to me is something that it shows a loss of discipline, a loss of bearing. Um, and at the same time, uh, for some reason... Um, which I don't fully understand right now, but hopefully will eventually. I legitimately fear anger. Um, it's something that I flee from um, whenever possible. And, and uh, Courtney and I have been up here before. We're both a part of Celebrate Recovery. Um, that's driven me into a lot of bad places. Um, and so it's something that as I grapple with my fear of anger, um, I'm also coming to understand different aspects of myself. And that plays out a little bit differently in Courtney's life, which I think I'll let her share about. Um, So God did pair us together kind of perfectly. If he fears anger, when when we got married, I didn't, I I experienced a lot of change in my life as a Christian in college um, and thought, you know, a lot of things were behind me. But then when we got married and there was somebody close enough to, quote, be the punching bag again, um, I realized that I still had a lot of anger inside me. And so I think for the first, we've been married five and a half years now. Um, I mean, even when we were engaged, I guess it was coming, starting to come out. But it, um, yeah, it was good to realize I had, I still had an anger problem. Um, I guess I would have never called it like an anger problem before. Like you have a temper, you know, you fight with your mom. Anybody do that? I don't know. Um, so from the very beginning, there was, God kind of introduced some disruption into this relationship because... Your negative met your positive, or however you want to look at that. Yeah, but we didn't know any of the, I didn't know, like, maybe how big my anger problem was and how personal some of the roots of it were, like very tender parts of my heart. And then we didn't, I completely didn't understand that he fled all situations of anger. Yeah. So, again, the theme of God blindsiding us. He's really good at blindsiding to get to parts of our heart that we've put pretty good barriers around. So, Dave, what else? And so the humility part of this for me um, as one being vulnerable not only with my wife but with people that I trust saying like, yeah, I am scared of anger and then pushing into that really hard part of my life 
Um, and just realizing, like, yeah, there's there's all kinds of, uh, of nuances and nooks in that that I don't fully understand. But yet, when I when I touch on that stuff, um, it hurts. Um, but when I touch on that stuff and it hurts, it also humbles me. And, and to be honest, even within the the bounds of celebrate recovery, um, you know, I've I've been able to go there with other guys um, into the areas of their life when you touch on it and it hurts, and being able to connect with them in that. Um, and I've also been able to do that with my wife. One of the things that we uh, really value and, and is really hard for us to do, but is to be emotionally present um, in every moment, especially when we're arguing. Um, like I, it's something that it's like, okay, right now I'm super mad at Courtney because she did X, Y, and Z. A and I need to understand that my anger or my, my fear or my wanting to escape where that's coming from and trying to, to push down into it because that helps me understand where she's at. Um, but if, like Courtney said, it, you know, four years ago, we were just, there were times where we were at an impasse, me like, who did I marry? Like, wh what is this, who is this person? Because I didn't know you in this way when we were engaged or dating. And um, I guess what you said about Nebuchadnezzar this morning, yeah, reminds me of some of my darkest moments of figuring this out when, for me, I didn't realize that I didn't want to accept blame in an argument because there was too much shame involved in being wrong. And so that was a breakthrough for me. It didn't mean I started accepting blame right away, but knowing that for some reason my heart just felt too ashamed. So I would just filibuster every argument, you know. I, I could argue all the shades of gray really well. Okay, okay. I think another way, e even currently, like Matt made a joke when, when I got here this morning. He's like, you had to have at least fought in the past 48 hours. Well, we have fought. Just in the so past the tension's fresh. Right, we want the yeah. tension to be fresh. We here. have fought in the past 48 hours. Um, but a lot of it is, is still based in the, like, when, when she gets angry, my first assumption is that she's wrong. She's just wrong for being angry. And, and the, the humbling part for me, I think, is, is realizing, like, no, she's not wrong. Like, I'm wrong for judging her. I'm wrong for um, assuming that, uh, you know, she's just being my wife and she's just being, you know, angry because Courtney's angry. Like, that's those are all the, the, the suppositions that I have in my heart and my head um, that are unfair, that are, that are ridiculous because she's the woman I love and I need to, you know, meet her where she's at. And that's so hard because I can get super selfish. I can get stupid and... Um, you know, say hurtful things, do things that, uh, you know, later on it's like, yeah, I totally need to apologize for this because I said that out of a really bad place, you know, in our argument or in our whatever discussion we were having. So well, and, and to kind of follow even the theme of Nebuchadnezzar, when you when you first had that she's wrong and, and you're not willing to kind of deal with your own stuff, you can be really, and I can be really, irrational. We can kind of be spiritually insane because we're so much are trying to hold on to our position when God is trying to be disruptive and saying, no, deal with your stuff, not hers. Deal with your stuff, not hers. Anyway, Courtney, what are you going to say? Uh, oh, I don't know. I mean, I, w I think I was going to give a plug for Celebrate Recovery. When I read the anger brochure, and I just read it like two weeks ago, I, I, you know, even though I've been dealing with it through CR for like a whole year and a half, um, uh, yeah, I was like, wow, there's a lot more to the, the anger stuff that, you know, y you can just think of the person who, 
gets loud when they get upset. But there, anyway, it was, it was interesting, the, all the nuances of, I should have asked Trevor and Vanessa to put some of those brochures on our table over there. Because it's, yeah, it's just interesting, um, something that you might be dealing with. Um, yeah, that's my commercial. Yeah, so, so in your relationship, and then we'll just close. It, God is pretty disruptive. He loves being disruptive. And so, like from Today is, what, Sunday, November, whatever, 3rd. How do you know ne this next week you're even going to grow in the whole issue? or do you gonna ha What are you doing to keep yourself from learning? Because one of the things that God kept saying to Nebuchadnezzar, you haven't learned this yet, you haven't learned this yet, you haven't learned this yet. What are you doing to keep yourself from defaulting back into old habits? How do you, like, you'll probably have a fight this week or next week, but how do you grow and how do you keep yourself from being discouraged and kind of self-condemnation. My guess is both of you could, with your own issues, kind of can go into self-condemnation. Like, here, I did it again. What do you, how do you see that changing? Have you seen you grow in that area where you don't go into self-condemnation and shame? I have been encouraged to see the change um, from the, this past year. Sometimes I even showed Dave or remind Dave, like, hey, I did something a little better than last time. <laughs> um, <laughs> But which is huge for me because, yeah, I'm, I would rather self-condemn uh, myself for what I did wrong rather than seeing something I did right or a little better. But um, I think people, I think the people that have been a part of our lives through, um, yeah, through joining the prayer team here and Celebrate Recovery and are just people that we open up to and ask for prayer. So relationships and your own vulnerability and hum humility in that way is a large part of your healing. I think we both saw a lot of growth when we stopped. We need other people to, like, Dave's not going to help me be a better wife. Other people are going to help me be a better wife. And other people are going to help him be a better husband. I can't teach him how to be a husband. I'm not a man. But that takes vulnerability and humility to share with your friends. I have an anger issue. So that's part of the healing, too. Dave? Yeah, I mean, along the same line, um, I, I always, with the guys that I meet with, I always put it in the context of, like, Culture tells us we should be John Wayne, we should be, you know, Sylvester Stallone, like these heroes that can do it on their own, you know, and, and you, you save the world by just being, you know, your own little person and, and fighting hard and overcoming setbacks. And it's like, that's a total load of crap. Um, you know, when, when I look at the military and the way they work, you know, it's never an individual that's saving the day. It's a team. It's an you know. It's everybody working together, um, and it's just not. I, I've come to this idea in the past couple of weeks as I've been talking with guys in my life. Um, oftentimes, I'm tempted to meet stress, to meet an argument that we have or other stuff going on in life with an event. Um, you know, I, I want to have a. a a point where I can feel good or have some kind of release or, you know, meet the stress in my life with something unhealthy instead of dealing with the stress in my life. Um, and, and I've just realized, like, yeah, that's not working. It's never worked. And so one of the best things I can do, and this, you know, once again within the context of Celebrate Recovery, is I have a sponsor, someone that I can call day or night um, and just have a conversation with about what's going on in my heart, what's going on in my life. So a great example, um, last or not last Wednesday, two Wednesdays ago or something like that, our car broke down. Um, I was, you know, trying to figure that out. Plus, there were other stressful things going on in life. And it was just like, today, 
I need to call my sponsor. Like, I need to call and have that conversation. And that's so hard to do because it's like, hey, I want to be John Wayne. I want to be Rambo. I want to do this on my own. And it's just not working. And so I think even looking forward into this next week, like Courtney said, I, I can't tell her how to be a wife. Um, and I, she can't tell me how to be a husband. I need to seek those relationships out so that later on I can tell her, hey, I was talking with my sponsor, and this is something that he told me to do. Um, do you want to try this? And, and, you know, we have a conversation about that. Um, because, yeah, it's not it, – the temptation is just to have the conversations over here and be like, well, that will make me a better husband. But the reality is I need to have the conversations over here first and then continue the conversation yeah. here yeah. so that we, yeah, can be honest and open with one another. Good. Thank you, Dave and Courtney. Thanks for coming up here and being vulnerable. Thank you. Be open to whatever ways Jesus wants to show you things in your heart you need to deal with. Just be open. And I'm going to even ask you to invite that from Jesus. Invite him to kind of point out things in your life. It may show up in your marriage. It may show up in your work relationships. But I think what Dave and Courtney said too is you will, we all need people and relationships to help us grow in those issues. You can't do it alone. You can't process it by yourself. Uh, the Christian life following Jesus is not meant to be an individual sport. It's a, it's a relational reality. So we finish every week at Exodus with communion. And uh, Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Do this and remember me. 